Hello and welcome to the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, episode number 13. Attack Angle against Launch Angle. It is volume 2 of our data series today. I'm Jim and joining me as always, renowned hitting instructor, professional evaluator, my former coach, friend and co-host, live in living color in Texas, Jake Epstein. Hello, Jake. <laughs> yes, sir. Excited for today. Launch yes. angle and attack angle. Still a very confusing subject matter, and, and a lot of parents uh, and players actually don't really understand the difference of the two and how they relate to each other and how one can affect the other one. So this will be a good a good topic to cover for you know whether you're a player, a coach, or uh, even a parent. Well, the first volume of our data series is currently available in the archives. We discuss data in more of a broader picture so check that out wherever you get your podcast. Hey, quick question I want to ask you, by the way. Uh, Shohei Otani, great athlete, arguably one of the best overall athletes in all of Major League Baseball right now. His career has been hampered by the Tommy John surgery. What do you see for his future, though, just from the hitting standpoint? Is he more of a hitter, or would it be better for his career if he just stuck to pitching? I, I don't think I think he could do both. Actually, I, I really don't think the hitting will take away too much from his from his pitching. Um, I do think he's a better pitcher than he is if he had to pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his stuff is pretty darn electric. Not to throw a guy out there on the mound now if he's injury ridden, that doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. Um, from a hitting standpoint, he's very talented and athletic and has amazing hands. Mm-hmm. Um, his lower body is pretty goofy. You know, if you watch him hit, he's kind of got the early no stride. It's kind of a choppy move, and he doesn't really get his hips through ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he will end up getting exposed middle in big time. Like he'll, you know, pitchers are pitchers are smart. If they can, and now if they miss, he's going to make you pay because he's so talented. But he'll start to get exposed in there, and then he'll have to start to cheat to get to get his barrel to the inside pitch, and then all of a sudden they'll be able to expose him with off speed stuff. So I, I think. Unless he makes changes with his lower half, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I think he can be a big league hitter, but I don't think he's going to be as dominant a hitter as he could be as a pitcher. Well, right now, and it's early, but he's kind of in a crossroads, and I'll say, I say that because of the aforementioned injury. But the other day, Jake, he walked eight on 50 pitches in an inner squad game. So, oof. That's a, that's a problem. Yeah, yikes. But his exit velocity last year, just to – give more perspective to this was 92.8 so yeah. i guess and you mentioned that the exit velocity a week ago or maybe it was two weeks ago two episodes uh prior to this one that uh, the exit velocity you don't want to focus too much on it but it has to be at a certain number so that you can play at, at the highest level or play at a higher level so 92.8 that's right up there with the top five top 10 exit velocities according to baseball savant uh, in Major League Baseball from a year ago. And that's a guy that finds barrels. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's all that means. It doesn't mean that 90, his his average, it doesn't mean that his 100-mile-an-hour exit velocities are 25 or 30 degrees in their home runs. Sure. They could be 8 or 10 degrees, you know, line drives up the middle. So, you know, exit velocity means that you're, you can find a barrel. It means you're big and strong. And he's a big, strong dude with a lot of leverage. So he's going to hit the ball hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is, his exit velocity average is high means he can hit, yeah. right? Like he's finding barrels. 
what do you do with those barrels? You know, are you six five and um, you have a slugging percentage of you know three three seventy five, or you have a slugging percentage of five seventy five? So yeah. that's kind of where he he fits in. Yeah, I think it's it's very uh, interesting his career to say the least because he is. You mentioned six five. I mean, he looks like he can go on to the basketball court because of his height mm-hmm. and his size, and because of his athleticism, and be very successful. And you wonder mentally how to get him in that right mindset to where he can be successful in both avenues. And I think the one biggest thing with him is let him DH, never let him play the outfield or or a position, and then maybe try to pitch him out of the bullpen. I'm not sold completely, I guess, on the idea that he can do both. And that's not a knock on him or his athleticism. It's just that these guys at the major league level are the top 1%. And some guys have trouble doing one thing. And it seems like (laughs) while he's not struggling to do one thing, he's ultimately trying to find his way to be successful with either pitching or hitting right now as it stands. And you won't know until he's healthy. Yeah. You know, I mean, when when he gets healthy and he gets the feel back and in, in his in his arm, you know, is he is he dominant? You know, he's got a he's got a six year run on that new ligament in his in his elbow. Yeah. So, you know, are these going to be electric six years, or is he not going to get that feeling back? And you know, maybe he becomes a, a right fielder or something like that and hits. But he'll hit. I mean, he's going to hit. He's going to hit 285 and, and and above. Yeah, and he'll hit some home runs because he's a big dude and he's athletic. Um, he's just a guy that doesn't quite maximize everything that his body has. Now, we talked about strength, strength, athleticism trumps everything. I mean, you know, look at Hunter Pence. That dude could jump out of a gym. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. throws funny and he hits funny, but everything he does is hard. He hits balls hard. He throws balls hard. He runs hard. You know, so the the issue with Otani is if he was five eleven and two hundred pounds, one hundred ninety five pounds, he wouldn't be able to get away with what he does offensively. That's a good comp That's too. A, I think with Hunter Pence, they're they're kind of the same size. They look the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. They just kind of move differently, I guess. But their they body, move, their, yeah. their body types are very similar. All right, let's dive into today's topic. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. Uh, we're also on social media, at Epstein Hitting on Twitter and Instagram, at Jim Tara. And you can send us your questions via social media or our email, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. That is jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. We are on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, and we've got some clips on SoundCloud as well, so be sure to check out those clips from previous episodes. Today's topic, attack angle against launch angle, and we want to try to sort of decipher the two and hopefully give people a better understanding of what the two really represent with a high-level swing. So we'll start with attack angle. That's one that you seemingly use a lot more than launch angle, especially with your experience in blast motion technology. Just to give a broader sense for everybody... What is the, in your words, the definition of attack angle? So attack angle is what the bat is doing at point of contact. Okay, so when you get a reading off of you know a blast or the other the other you know bat 
sensor devices that are out there. It's yeah. what the bat is doing at point of contact. So it and, it, and it's not a there, there's not a a certain number that's that's perfect because it depends on where contact is made. So if we make contact deeper in the zone, typically your attack angle is going to be less. If you make contact more out in front on the way to your follow through, your attack angle is going to be more. So you have to use utilize video with the attack angle to find out, you know, is that the right spot? If a player's hitting the ball at their front toes and their attack angle is 10 to, say, 13 or 14, that's awesome. If they're making contact at their front toes and their attack angle is 20 degrees, that is not awesome. Sure. Because then you can have a player that just lets the ball get really deep and says, oh, my attack angle's 10, that's great. Well, it shouldn't be 10 there, and they start flaring everything or topping balls to the pull side. So... That is when you have to bring in the launch angle readings, or you just have to have vision to see where <laughs> where that ball is going. Yeah. And just to get this part out of the way, too, uh, I'm not sure how you measure this importance, but the difference of the metric, how does it pertain? You mentioned golf a lot on the podcast. How does it pertain to golf and baseball, the attack angle? And, and, how, and what are the similarities and what are the differences? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've never really used it on um, attack angle, but I know a little bit about it, I guess, in golf mm-hmm. um, because I try to get better at golf and I don't. So, uh, like with a driver, for instance, you know, your attack angle with a driver, you know, everybody used to say you got to swing, you got to swing down, you know, on the ball with a golf club, but with a driver, you actually want to be swinging up because when you swing down too much, it creates too much spin. Sure. Okay. It'll it'll create too much backspin and the ball won't carry. You know, you're looking at like maybe seven thousand RPMs um, versus you know fifteen to twenty five hundred, which is what you want with the driver. So players that are taller in golf create usually create more spin. They come down on it a little bit more, and it costs them you know distance. So for for baseball, you know, attack angle. Um, you know, I, I have players that I say, you know, like for instance, last night I'm working with a player that was very talented um, here. He's going to play in college uh, here at the lab, and and he's he's a good hitter, right? And he hits balls to right center field. He's a right-handed hitter, and I put the blast on him, and his vertical bat angle was like negative 43, and I was like, holy smokes, no wonder he was working with you know one of my other instructors. Mm-hmm. He was working with Matt, and Matt was trying to get him to, you know, try to get a little bit more backspin instead of sidespin. So I'm like, well, put this on. Let's see what's, let's see what's really going on. So he was like, the first three were like negative 40s or something, and his exit velocity, again, front toss with bad balls, it was like 80, 88, 89. Yeah. And so I'm like, but his attack angle was good, mm-hmm. right? So he was swinging up at like. I shouldn't say it wasn't it wasn't bad. He was only swinging up at like three or four degrees. So that's actually a little bit flat. Like he wasn't swinging up very much, but because his vertical bat angle was so steep, he was hitting everything kind of in the air. So I'm like, what we need to do is because your spin is terrible um, off the bat, we need to get this 43 degrees to 25 degrees. Can you do that, right? And he's like, I don't know, you know. So we said, okay, do this, do this, do this. In like seven swings. He adjusted his vertical bat angle, so instead of it being in the 40s, now it was in the negative 20s, mm-hmm. okay? And his attack angle actually went up, okay? So now his attack angle was closer to 10 instead of closer to zero, which is good. So he was swinging up more with less barrel drop, 
And then we had him on the hip tracks as well, right? We're stacking all our technology. Yeah. And all of a sudden, his bat, his exit velocity went up four miles an hour. And then he was like at 91, 92 with his exit velo. So you can use technology to make little changes. And those weren't wholesale changes. This was an athletic kid who's 18 years old. And we said, do this, do this, do this. You already had a very good swing. You know, it was kind of an inside-out swing, which there's nothing wrong with that. But we were trying to get him a little bit more power because he's five foot eight. You know, he does hit the ball hard for being five foot eight. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a three, four mile an hour boost in exit velocity just by changing a vertical bat angle and an attack angle at the same time. I think you alluded to it right there, but what should the minimum attack angle be, or at least in the vicinity of for hitters uh, to to be successful in different zones? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, okay. So what what would be that minimum attacking? For baseball, for baseball players, not softball, but for baseball, typically when a player goes the other way and they let the ball get deeper, I look at a five, you know, and this is plus or minus, you know, maybe two, two degrees. You can can add or subtract two, but typically five when they let the ball get deep, ten about at their front toes, and then 15 if they make contact in front of their front toes. So five to 15 is a good range. For softball, I'm looking at more like 2 to 12. Mm-hmm. 2 to 12, just a little bit flatter. You know, girls, will, you know, aren't able, they, they don't swing up quite as much. They, they still don't chop down or anything like that. They're still swinging up. They're just swinging up less because of the angle, the release point of the softball. And, and most balls are still dropping. Like 90% of balls in softball are dropping. They're just dropping less. Sure. Well, you know, I, I look at like a pitch on the outer half right at the knees outer half one of the best pitches that a pitcher can throw and one of the hardest pitches that a uh, a hitter struggles with what's a proper attack angle for that type of pitch and then vice versa with a pitch that's i'm talking from the left-handed hitting side of things Mm -hmm. that perspective what's a proper attack angle for a pitch down and in and then low and away at the knees right on the black of the plate that that would be called a strike so the attack angle will be pretty similar on depth, mm-hmm. meaning if there, it's an outside pitch, whether it's up or down, mm-hmm. you know, your attack angle is going to be pretty close. You know, the pitch yeah. low and away, like you're, that, that's the hardest pitch to, to get barrel on, right? Sure, so, sure. Um, you're looking at what happens on that, and that pitch you actually have to drop your barrel more. So you're going to have a, a steeper vertical bat angle to get to that pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why we don't hit it quite as far, and it'll have a little bit more side spin on it. Um, but you're still looking at an attack angle, you know, low and away at the knees. You're probably still looking at a, you know, roughly a five degree attack angle. Sure. You know, I, I would still stay in that category. If it's down and in, you're still going to be, you know, closer to 15 degrees out in front, you know, 10 to 15 degrees if it's down and in. But again, the, the barrel drop is the difference, not as much the attack angle, how much it's moving up. So you still really want to stay in those those confines of five to 15 degrees when you're hitting and and you can do that with a bat you can play around or not with a bat with a t you can play around with those different contact points with the t then front toss and then obviously you start monitoring off you know velocity the epstein family mike and jake have been teaching attack angle and they they know this (laughs) for many many years but it hasn't been measured before now it's being measured so i feel like it's making your job a lot easier and I sometimes wonder what your father could have done Mike Epstein if he had a couple of these measurables like you do at his fingertips when you apply these 
certain metrics with the attack angle. What kind of drills, based off that number that a hitter may have? What, well, let me ask this first. Before I ask what kind of drills you then formulate for a player's plan, is determining attack angle one of the first things you do when a player arrives at the lab or, or comes to you to work with them? Is that one of the first things you're determining to help better understand what their swing is and what the roadmap could be for where we need to get that player to get to with his swing? You know, it, it can be skewed, you know, uh, because like I said, it gives you point. It gives you the number point of contact. Mm-hmm. But a player can do some really screwy things with his barrel mm-hmm. before contact, yeah, and be rolling his, you know, maybe his barrel's way down, and then he flips his wrists up, and then right at contact, that number looks good. Sure, sure. And he hits a little ground. He hits a little ground ball of the pull side, right? So it doesn't. The result isn't there. So. So, no, I'm not 100% attack angle is what you do. So, if I have a player, you know, I, I will put the sensor on him, and I will put video on him. Mm-hmm. And what I actually look for is what is the attack angle if I back it up? Mm-hmm. What is the vertical bat angle if I back up the video from point of contact? Because it gives you the reading at contact. I actually want to see what the story is before contact. So... I'm actually, you know, utilizing the high-speed video in conjunction with the metrics and the attack angle to tell the story of how did he get to this number, you know. Now, maybe the number's bad. So, for instance, I had a player, a young player who was struggling here, uh, again, in Texas, and he had, a like, a bad weekend. He comes in, and his attack angle, and I know him, right, and I know that he's kind of a pull-side ground ball guy, and yeah. he hits high fly balls to the opposite field. Yeah. So I said, look, if you want to change, we need to change this. Like this isn't, you know, he was just a guy that kind of comes in and hits and we make tweaks, but it was like, look, you need to actually make this change. Yep. And this is a hard working kid. And so he was 20 to 22 degrees when he would hit balls to the pull side. Mm-hmm. That was his attack angle. Mm-hmm. So I said, look, you gotta, you gotta think about doing this, this, and this, right? So we're working on, you know, essentially swinging down more, working on lower extension, working on shortening up his hand path, yada, yada, yada. Right. Mm-hmm. So he goes out, two days later and hits the first two home runs over the fence he's ever hit Mm -hmm. swinging down so I lowered his attack angle so his attack angle was a 22 now I got his attack angle closer to like 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden instead of ground balls he's hitting fly balls so most people think well that's silly shouldn't if you swing up more you should probably hit the ball higher and farther but that's not the case everything has a measurable you know tool there's too much of everything right we have to stay in moderation so that made a huge adjustment and then that kid worked 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 and now he's i mean he he's dominating he's you know he's young right he's he's only 11 years old and he's not a big 11 year old at all mm-hmm. but that dude is totally dominating his age group right now after making that attack angle change which actually started deeper in the zone i had to fix something he did at launch with his hands yeah. in order to fix his attack angle out in front i i think you said one of the smartest things that any hitting coach has ever said and this is a brilliant approach it's not just implementing drills and and doing things like hitting coaches do nowadays on the internet posting videos what it comes down to is understanding the story of what that player's swing is and you try to understand that story and um uh i i equate it to a house having the framework of a house okay now we have to fill in that house and I feel like that's understanding the player's story, so to speak, quote air quotes, 
um, in their swing, looking at it on video as we did years ago, and then implementing what we need to implement and doing what we need to do to get that player to reach their potential. I think that's absolutely brilliant, and it's something that's lost upon the hitting community nowadays. You have to understand the hitter's story first. Yeah. I mean, it's. I had a call yesterday with uh, my boss. <laughs> Let's just put it like that, with the, the, the team that I work for. And, you know, he had mentioned, he's like, you know, I would say, I, you know, I'm just looking at video and I'm like, this guy's going to have issues here, here, and here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he absolutely does. And, and I don't see those, I don't see the 300 at bat spray chart. I don't yeah. see where that player makes out, but I can attribute it to something that maybe goes wrong in the swing or something that doesn't quite match up with the swing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first thing, like when I'm working with any player, um, you know, we had a, a player from Seattle come into town and I always, you know, big, strong kid. And I always ask him, what, what is your, you know, take me through your last 20 at-bats. You know, what are your outs look like? Do, are your outs to the pull side or are, are they to the opposite field? Are you striking out? Okay, how are we getting to two strikes? Is it a patience? Are you taking too many pitches? Are you fouling good pitches back? Okay, yeah, I foul a lot of pitches. I feel like I'm right on straight back. Boom. So that sets off a flag, something that he's doing mechanically. Uh, all my outs are rollovers to the pull side, right? Okay, that's something. Or all my outs are like straight-up pop-ups to the pull side. Okay, that's something totally different. So I'm trying to paint this picture of, you know, what this player does in game at bats, what his issue is. And typically just by talking to him, I can I can know what his swing is going to look like as soon as he starts hitting. Yeah. And then, of course, we put the video and the metrics on him, and then I can kind of dive in a little bit more. And then we create a plan. But – that's the difference. Like every player, you know, part of the part of the issues I have with you know stuff I see, you know, on uh, on Twitter, and some of it's really great too. But yeah. you know, is is you you don't just do that with every player. Like every player doesn't need that drill. Not one size every fits player, all. Yeah. Every player doesn't need that move. Yeah. If you teach a player that's dumping their barrel or has a casting issue or has a collapsing issue or whatever or a jumping issue to the front line and you teach them to do certain drills it's gonna make it worse yeah so you know i never give people plans it's like my online academy like the epstein online academy what is the first thing we do i don't give you drills when you sign up yeah when you sign up you get some informational drills you know here's how your footwork should be here's some big league breakdowns here's some you know how your hand should work and then i don't give a player drills until i see their swing you submit a video I review the video, okay, you need to do this, this, and this to work on, you know, whatever your issues are. But it's not just, oh, here's a library of drills, do them all. Well, that's just, that's wasting time if you don't need to do certain things. And then it could be causing problems for other people. Yeah, so there's really no, uh, you kind of answered the question right there, there's really no prescribed drills for a proper attack angle. It's just based off the player's story. Yeah, you're shaking your head no, yeah. It's exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got off topic there, but it's exactly what it is. I mean, some players. I'm like, uh, we had a class the other day, right? Of uh, you know, drop-in class. We had five or six players, and two of them swung down too much. Yeah. Right. They were like a zero degree attack angle, maybe negative once in a while. And those players were like, "Hey, sit back. We need you to, you know, do this with your lead arm. You know, throw the frisbee more. I want you to finish higher. Whatever it is, swing up." And then there were other kids that were swinging up too much, and were like, "Hey, we need you to do this with your front arm. We need you to do this with your top hand to fix that." And 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 that's what makes 
good coaching. Yeah. Um, and that's what was fun for me at, at the college level because all of a sudden I got 15 guys I got to work with, not one. Mm-hmm. And I got to set up plans for all of them and I got to set up stations for pregame and to organize that was it was fun like okay you need to do this this and this you don't you need to do this <laughs> this and this you know so i would separate them and then you know it made it made life a little bit more difficult but eventually it made the players better and that's that's why we do this that's why we coach how have colleges and and again talking in terms of attack angle right now we'll get to launch angle in a little bit but how have colleges and high school programs adapted you think if at all, uh, and how can they do a better job of implementing this data attack angle without trying to do too much with it and tying their players into a knot? Um, I would say college players are very, uh, you know, or I should say college coaches are, you know, they all go to the ABCA mm-hmm. and they all get the technology. They have to be, they have to know how to implement the technology. Right. Because what people do is they just say, I want this number. You need to be at this number. You need to be at 15 degrees on your attack angle. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, okay. And the kid gets there, right? The kid's athletic enough to figure out how to get to that attack angle. But maybe all of a sudden to get to that attack angle, they're starting to do weird stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because a little device says 15 degrees. That's the that's the implementation problem that I see yeah. with high school coaches, college coaches, and travel coaches. There, there's a girl I work with, the online academy, and she said, hey, my, uh, my travel coach wants all of our numbers to be here, you know, at this number. And I'm like, well, that's not your game, right? right? right. You know, you're, you're, you're 105 pounds. Yeah. Your yeah. number needs to be here. And that number needs to be at a certain contact point, right? Yeah. When you hit it out in front, if you're at 15, you're okay. But that's not where you're good. You're good when you let that ball get to your front foot. You yeah. need to be closer to like six or seven degrees. And so what happens is people just think, oh, this number's good. So now all of a sudden I get players with maybe a 15-degree attack angle, which should be out in front. Mm-hmm. Well, they can maybe they dump their barrel. So their 15 degrees is deep in the zone. But they're like, oh, I'm at 15. This is great. And then they hit high fly balls 250 feet to right field or the opposite field. Yeah. And then they don't play anymore. And maybe that was attributed to – a certain number so we have to be very careful with how we utilize technology because it can be very useful mm-hmm. but it's not like oh here you go like make it say five yeah. make it say 10 make it say 15 and you're good yeah that's it's your cool. wisdom right it's your wisdom uh speech that you like to say right you have to know yeah. the information and then you have to have a background on what makes it work it's a little discerning though to hear that uh the fact that sh- that the coach told her you have to hit this certain number. So what I gather from all that is if these coaches, and this goes for high school and college, if they don't understand how to properly use the data and they're just doing it because it's peer pressure and they feel like they're behind in not using this technology, then they just shouldn't use it at all. Just keep it simple. Go back to the meat and potatoes of of teaching hitting and trying to make your hitters better. That's that's the key to coaching. Well, you know, a number, you know, I mean, if you're bench pressing, you know, and you see your number go up, and okay, that's one thing. But, yeah, the swing is dynamic. The, yeah. the swing is ever-changing, you know, depending on the pitch and this and that, that, you know, we can't just put a number on stuff, you know, when, when you're practicing it. It has to fit with that player. 
Yeah. Well, coming up, Jake and I discuss launch angle in depth, a lot more depth. We'll get to that in just a second. But let's talk about what's going on at the lab this week. I got an email. There's some exciting news. Former Major League Baseball pitcher and Texas A&M Aggie Alex Wilson is joining the staff. In fact, he'll be leading the 9U to 14U classes that consist of arm care and velocity training. And he'll also be leading a throwing program. That's very exciting for you guys. Willie is awesome. So we're we're really excited. We got to know him, you know, this we, we haven't been open that much, but you know, this this summer and you know, he's a mainstay here in College Station, you know, big leaguer, he's a World Series champion, he's a former Aggie. He's bright. He he knows he knows technology, but he knows real life instruction, you know, and he he knows feels and he knows the grind of a season and he knows you know having to you know compete that's probably my favorite part of having a a great pitching guy like that is when you don't have your stuff you got to be able to still compete and he has that mentality he's a real tough you know kind of he was a tough guy when he pitched and the way he works out and then you get him away from that and he's like a big teddy bear so we're excited he's gonna be great with the kids he's starting next week uh, yes, throwing programs. We got our Sandlot games, which are so much fun. Those things are totally full. It's like get kids out there in the morning. It's getting hot here in Texas, so getting hot on the turf. We get them out there. We get two teams. You know, they they play for a couple hours. We have coaches out there to kind of help facilitate everything. But what a great way to get kids active and and obviously you know fielding ground balls and making throws and and then trying to hit trying to hit some dingers too is is never a bad thing. So we have that, and then obviously the lab. We're uh, we're probably about eighty five percent full with our lab membership, so we're we're cruising right along here um, with our evening classes. Still have a few spots left, but those guys are, you know, they're trugging along, man. It's it's been a lot of fun down here. Yeah, Jake mentioned the Sandlot uh, on turf. That's twenty five dollars, by the way, for two hours with coaches guiding players through a proper warm up, and then a Sandlot style game, as Jake mentioned, with instruction from coaches. Uh, catchers, by the way, also encouraged to bring their gear and play the position. And the aforementioned 9 to 14 U group arm care and velocity building class, $30 to $55. Uh, $30 to $50 for 55 minutes, I should say. Uh, indoor hitting classes, $45 for 90 minutes. Individual hitting and pitching lessons for $75. And hitting memberships for $195. So these are pretty good price points, I think, and very fair for getting some of the best um, overall instruction around and to be clear and this was in the email as well to make this very clear all social distancing rules are in effect and posted at the door when you walk in and by the way and we talked about this last week if you aren't in texas that doesn't matter because you can sign up for an online subscription epsteinhitting.com and to the online hitting academy for direct online instruction drills annotations and a lot more Absolutely. Yeah, we got you covered, man. We got all the good stuff. And, and honestly, we have a bunch of people driving in. I got a bunch of, got a couple of players from Florida driving in next week. Um, you know, the Southeast is somewhat drivable to us and then all over Texas. So you don't have to be right in College Station to come visit us. We do. Um, we have out of state players in all the time. And um, yes, we're keeping it safe for sure. Parents, we, unfortunately, they had to kind of hang out outside for a little bit or wear, wear a mask. You know, we got all that kind of covered and we're only keeping 10 people in the huge facility. So 
Um, I think that's why our membership stuff is, is killing it is because, you know, everybody has their own station. There's no waiting. You know, I'm, I go to facilities all the time and they're three deep in every cage and nobody's getting reps. Yes. Um, so the social distancing has, has actually helped us in creating a better training environment and program for our players. So they get a little bit more individual attention. They get more quality swings. And um, because we have the space, you know, we're, we're, we're able to do it on a, on a nightly basis. So, yeah, come on out. Give us a try. Yeah, and for those younger kids who have uh, a very short attention span, social distancing and coaching is great because they do less talking, more focusing, and, uh, <laughs> and certainly uh, more working, if you ask me. Here's the deal. Look, I worked with Jake personally years ago. I've said this many times on the show. And I still subscribe to his theories today. And honestly, I can't tell you how many coaches in the pro ranks I've talked to who know the names Mike and Jake Epstein have nothing but positive things to say about their coaching. And that's the truth. So for more information and to get started, log on to EpsteinHitting.com or call 512-695-8875 or log on to the TheLabBCS.com. Again, that is the TheLabBCS.com. We are discussing attack angle and launch angle today. This is volume two of our data series. Um, let's discuss attack angle now. Um, just overall, what is your definition? Excuse me. Let's talk launch angle now. What is your definition of launch angle in your own words? Uh, and what was your reaction when it first came into play? Um, was there a rush and urgency on your part to teach it, learn as fast as you can? teach it um did you feel any pressure what was your what's your definition and what was your reaction to to when it became really prevalent i don't remember like an actual day you know it was such a slow transition in you know i mean i grew up with obviously my dad and ted williams stuff so ted williams said you got to swing up so there's a tack angle right there you got to swing up 10 to 15 degrees the ball's coming down roughly 10 degrees now we're, you know, we're seeing, you know, balls really only drop maybe four to 10 degrees at the major league level, right? Guys throw pretty hard with a high spin rate. Regardless, that's where attack angle kind of came to me. So the other thing was, are we trying to hit line drives? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we got to figure out, we got to hit the ball in the air, right? Ted Williams said, you do damage when balls are hit in the air, right? There's not extra base hits on ground balls for the most part, unless it's right down the line. So, you know, I grew up with, somewhat you know launch angle theory if you want to call it that like it might be the lamest term i've ever heard oh it's a launch angle swing yeah it's yeah, that's not what it is so launch angle is the the <laughs> vertical <laughs> angle of the ball traveling through space right at contact so right after contact you know the first three feet what is the angle of the ball um, as it relates to the Earth's surface. <laughs> so that's what we're looking at. Okay, so now we got to figure out um, what is ideal. I think we're talking baseball savant next week, but, you know, what is ideal launch angle, you know, for exit velocity, right? So, you know, at the major league level, you know, if you hit a ball uh, above 90 miles an hour at, like, 15 degrees, you're going to hit, like, 800 900 something's crazy 950 I don't remember what the actual number is you know your extra base hits are going to be like you know 18 to 30 18 to 28 you know how high can you possibly hit it okay you could probably hit home runs you know close to 38 degrees on a launch angle but you got to hit the ball hard enough to do that so if you cut a ball 
and you hit it 38 degrees, it's only going to have an 80 mile an hour exit velocity, right? So meaning if you're swinging down at a ball, going down, and you're hitting that at 35, 38 degrees, the, the, the impact doesn't have enough inertia. You're not hitting enough of the ball. You're just cutting a portion of it that it's just going to be a flyout. But if you launch that ball at 38 degrees and say the ball's coming down at 8 degrees and you're swinging up at, you know, whatever, 10 degrees and you're hitting just underneath the middle of the ball, well, then that ball's going to launch at maybe 100 degrees or 100 miles an hour off the bat and it will go bye-bye. So there's what we try to do is we try to match launch angle to attack angle and what you're trying to do is create a a delta a difference of those numbers that still creates enough bat speed so you know if a ball is coming down at 10 and you swing up at 10 and you hit the middle of the ball it's yeah. going to leave at 10 and it's going to be a knuckleball up the middle okay if if you swing up at six and the ball's coming down at 10, that's only a difference of four degrees and it launches at say 25 degrees with backspin, well, that ball's perfect. I mean, that's just a line drive that's going to carry, you know, 300 and whatever, 90 feet. Yeah. So there's a lot to that. So attack angle, you know, it, 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 it's different parts of the field. Where do you want your attack angle to be higher? I'm sorry, where do you want your launch angle to be higher? You want your launch angle to be higher to the pull side mm -hmm. and less to the opposite field, but that's not usually the case. Um, when I got to Mizzou, most of the guys had higher launch angles to the opposite field. Interesting. And those balls and those balls don't carry because our length of stroke is shorter, right? Our bat speed's only at eighty five percent on pitches middle away. So there were a lot of flyouts to right field. Then when they would get their bat head to maximum speed, they would hit, you know, kind of top spin ground balls and line drives to the pull side. But at a hundred miles an hour, well that didn't do anybody any good. A hundred mile an hour ground balls and out in the SEC. Yeah. So making sure your launch angle to the right field. Ah, that's that's crucial in, or that's crucial stuff for players that want to be successful. And just for a little more context, if you do go to baseballsavant.com and look at the hitting leaderboard, launch angle is the second number in at the top of the page. So when you go to the leaderboard, you see launch angle right away. It seems like it's valued more than attack angle, at least in my opinion. It's it's talked about a lot more, certainly. It is. It's a result, yeah. right? So you're, you're, you know, we use the hit tracks, and the hit tracks is great, but the hit tracks, you know, is there's no spin coefficient, you know, it doesn't take into consideration humidity. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into a ball flight, right? You know, a, a hit tracks is going to tell you it's moving this fast on this angle, and if it goes in a straight line, it goes here. You know, Rapsodo takes it a little bit further and it gives you spin so it says okay the spin axis was you know a few degrees to the right so you're either going to gain distance with the spin mm -hmm. or you're going to lose distance if it's top spin right Makes or sense, if yeah. you're going to lose distance if it's if it has too much backspin you know if you're looking at like a 5,000 rpms of backspin so well that, that happens too and sorry to cut you off but that happens when you swing yeah. have that v swing you swing down too much you really get on top of the ball. It has that backspin, but it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just a little looping flare. You just—it's just a little soft 
like cut shot. Yeah, you know, it would be like yep. in, like in tennis, it would be a cut shot, yep. right? Um, where uh, you know, so so if you combine all of them, right? You got the rep soto and you got the hit tracks, right? You know, you can combine that and you got blast and um, you know maybe track man at the stadium. We were talking about that yesterday on our call with you know the track mans of the stadium, but but really that's just giving you launch angle and velocity. So there is what was your original question as I as I lost it? Oh, it's it, it seems launch angle is more more yeah. prevalent, right? Yeah, because yeah. it, it is. It's the result. So. And sometimes you can sell a player, look, buddy, I don't care what you do. What is the, I mean, you talk to old golf professionals, right? The ball doesn't lie. Like, I could go watch somebody take BP out on a field Mm -hmm. and watch the ball flight and know exactly what they're doing mechanically. Yeah. Because I've looked at so much video, right, over the last 20 years. But (laughs) the ball doesn't lie. So that's what the launch angle is telling you. How did you hit the ball on this trajectory? Now, what was the speed, right? That's probably the line item right next to launch angle is what's the speed of the ball. Mm -hmm. So if what players are doing, whether it's beneficial or not, they're trying to – maximize both launch angle and ball speed okay right so if i hit it hard and i hit it high mm-hmm. 30 degrees 35 degrees oh yeah then that's going to be really great how do they get there again we've talked about this all day today what is the story of them getting the bat like look people are athletic people are big what they're trying to do is they're doing that off a of tee sometimes yeah Okay, so that ball's not even moving. So to hit a ball 35 degrees off a tee, hard, you kind of have to swing up almost 35 degrees. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So now you're trying to swing up 35 degrees. What do you have to do with the first part of your launch? you got to dump your barrel really, really low in order to be able to swing up and hit a ball at 35 degrees. Boom, there's a problem. Or they'll try it, okay, let's use this. Let's just do it on front toss. Mm-hmm. And guys are doing the same thing off front toss, and it looks good on the hit tracks. And then all of a sudden, you crank up a machine to 85 miles an hour, and everybody swings and misses at the first 20 swings. Yeah. I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we do our, you know, we do home run derby just because it's, it's dang fun, right? Like <laughs> at the end of every session, yeah. and with the high school guys, buddy, they compete, and it is a blast. So we'll load up the machine, but we don't do home run derby necessarily. Like maybe once a month, we'll do it off front toss. But for the most part, it's like, you know, it's not home run derby as in, uh, hey, we're going to just throw you cookies. Like, we're going to set that machine at, you know, 80 to 90 miles an hour, and we'll give you a bunch of outs, but we're trying to square balls up. And what that does is that tells me our, if guys are cheating to hit home runs or if they're trying to find barrels and hit line drives. And if they're cheating, you'll see guys, they'll swing and miss. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason you should be swinging and missing. Now, you can fight balls off. We saw Mookie Betts fighting balls off off the hack attack on Twitter. The hack attack is hard. Let me tell you, that thing catches a seam. It throws nasty stuff. And so, you know, we train in that environment. So when guys get out, I mean, they've been getting out on the weekends and their showcases, Mm -hmm. and they're like, Ep, it is, the pitching is so much easier because you drill it so hard with those hack attacks every week at the facility. So anyway, launch angle is great, but you really have to make sure that launch angle is happening in a competitive environment and not off a tee and not off front toss. So, you're, so, so I got a lot from that, but what I, the main point I got from that is when you're coaching and players are hitting off that hack attack, you're making it harder for them in a controlled environment. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah. it's easier and it's in not, game. Yeah. Not, 
Well, for the older guys, we are. Okay. Um, for the for the high school guys, that you know, mechanics are good. You know, we're I'm setting. Hey, what are we going to see this weekend? Uh, we're probably going to see 86. Okay, so we're going to set, and the hack attack's like five miles an hour more difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you set a hack attack at 90, it's like 95 with cutters and sinkers coming out of the same <laughs> machine. Right, right, okay. right. So because it'll catch a seam and move about you know seven or eight inches either way sometimes. Yes. So um, yes, we're over training them. During certain weeks, mm-hmm. okay, you that's know, what it's called. That probably, over, it's called overtraining. We're yeah. we're overtraining them. We're we're giving you know that slider maybe a little bit more break. We're giving it maybe a little bit more velocity. So when they see, anytime you see a ball come out of an arm mm-hmm. versus out of a machine where it pops out, mm-hmm. it seems so much slower. So we're prepping them, you know, at game speeds that are maybe ten percent tougher than game speeds, right? So right. that they can compete when the pressure is on like it doesn't do you any good to just look good off front toss all day long <laughs> yeah well that, and that's not front makes toss. you feel good it makes yeah you well feel good and you know what there's there's a time good warm-up we do a lot of front toss too yeah you know when we're working on something but if we're yeah. prepping for the season mm-hmm. and we're staying sharp for the season you have to do a little bit of front toss you got to do a little bit of t-work and then you got to do a little bit of you know competitive velocity yeah. um, because they don't get it you know big leaguers are going to see 95 every single day so right. they don't need yeah. to train it. They tra- in the off season they'll train off those hack attacks. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about that story with Anthony Rizzo and, and Chris Bryant about you know is the hack attack supposed to you know place the bat up my rear end? What you know is that like a thing? Actually, I don't think and, we've ever I don't think we've ever heard that story. We didn't talk about that. So no. Chris Bryant has been using a hack attack for you know whatever I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. You know the big one right that throws you know 100 miles an hour. So I don't know a few years ago he told. He told Riz that, you know, hey, you should get one of these for your off-season training. You know, put it in your cage, you know, wherever that backyard or wherever, you know, you're living. Yeah. So so he did. So he bought it. And he and after the first day, he called Brian. He's like, um, is that machine supposed to make me feel terrible? And, <laughs> and uh, because I can't get the bat out of my rear end after hitting off it. And Brian said, yes. He said, you will fight. You might hit one out of ten balls the first couple days off that machine, you know, set at 95. He said, but in a week, it's going to be easier, and in two weeks, it's going to be easier. He says, you're never going to own that machine. That machine is always going to own you. Yeah. But when you start to face live competition, it's it's easier than what you're training, right? So it doesn't mean you do that every day. And, and you, you have know, a hack attack at, at the lab, right? We have three of them. Three yeah, of them. We have okay. three of those big things, okay. and and we can we can trick those out to you know all kinds of different spin rates, so I can... I can get it, you know, hey, we're going to face, you know, Kevin Brown today, and I can make, you know, one of the wheels go faster than another one yeah, and impart more spin so it's like a right-handed sinker, a heavy sinker coming in. Or, you know, we can say, okay, we're going to do a lefty this today and do different stuff. So when players are trained at that high high speed, you know, it's kind of like a what I always use the analogy of as, as an airline pilot, right? Like I guarantee you, I, I mean I don't know for sure. I haven't. I, I should, probably should watch the movie, but or read a book. But Sully, right? Sully, you know the birds got in his engines and Sully landed that sucker in the Hudson, right? Yeah. I guarantee you, at some point in his life, he was in a simulator, you know, where zero zero visibility, his engines fail, mm-hmm. he, his flaps don't work, his landing gear is out, and he's got to find a way to get that plane down. Because there's one in a million chance that that might happen when he's, you know, in the cockpit. And sure enough, it did. Sure. And I, I, I feel that that's how we have to train hitters sometimes is, 
hey, you might not be facing an 86-mile-an-hour slider, but let's sit here and see what it looks like at least. Right. Like, let's watch that thing so that, you know, if we run into that guy, your brain has a, a point of reference for that pitch. Really? So so uh, you should train in – because there is some pushback on this. You mm-hmm. should you should – coaches should train players uh, in tougher and – tougher controlled environments and try to get them to be as perfect as as humanly possible it's not possible yeah. to be perfect but as perfect as they possibly can be in tough circumstances in a controlled environment because you just mentioned yeah. a perfect analogy with a pilot i mean you, you hear about it sometimes in space if you ever seen the movie if you ever ever see the movie um um oh jesus uh, armageddon with with yeah. bruce willis right. Yeah. It's a little bit exaggerated, but when they're they're flying in the jet and they're going through the worst circumstances in their space training, there's some humor to that. But um, yeah. you notice that they're they're being prepped for the toughest possible situation that they may encounter in a controlled environment, and they have to get it right. And this goes for any pilot training, I would imagine, get it right yeah. in that controlled environment. It's and it doesn't mean that that's the that's what you want to do every single day of every right. single week. Right. But it is a part of the training model. Now, if I have a player in a group that isn't ready for that because he's working on a, a swing change, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because he's got some kind of catastrophic issue with his top hand or bottom hand or elbows or footwork, he, he's not. You know, we're not putting him in that environment until yeah. his mechanics are good. So we'll see that more in. You know, our high school, college groups, especially here at Texas, like high school baseball is no joke. Like, these guys can play. Mm-hmm. These guys can absolutely – you make a high school team in Texas, like, you can play. Yeah. And you succeed at the varsity level in Texas, like, you can, you can play. They train a lot different than any other place in the country in terms of practicing and, um, you know, dedication. And, and, and they work guys out. You know, a lot of times high school is just like, oh, we just kind of show up for games. You know, we, we train in, in January – and then we start to hit the field in February. Like these <laughs> yeah. dudes train in the summer for high school baseball, man. That's yeah. awesome. So, um, and they play on their 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 club team. So for those guys that you know, there's there's not a catastrophic issue to their swing. Yeah, you know, towards the end of that training session, we're going to test them a little bit, you know, and put them in a pressure environment and make them compete against each other because essentially that makes them better. Yeah. And we've seen success. I mean, maybe we mess somebody up, but we're starting to see it now that guys are back playing. They're competing at a much higher level than their teammates are just because they're training at a higher level than their teammates are during the week. Just to uh, put a bow here on, on launch angle, I don't think I missed anything, but I, I just want to add a little bit more context. Uh, Reese Hoskins, Edwin Encarnacion, Mike Trout, Brandon Belt, Austin Hedges, Kevin Biggio. In that order, on BaseballSavant.com, they're in the top six in launch angle. And this surprised me, Jake, because Alex Bregman who had the ninth highest launch angle at 19.6 on BaseballSavant.com. To me, his swing is pretty ideal in terms of how flat it is and having that distinct adjustability that he has. Maybe maybe you agree, maybe not. Um, but this seems to me where launch angle, it, it gets a little bit confusing. and It, can be it a does. Bit, can a you bit read deceptive. those names again for me, please? Yeah, Reese Hoskins. Uh, this is all in the in order. Okay, big... Kind of fly ball hitter, right? Right. right this right is all in order. Power hitter. All in order, one to six. So Reese Hoskins, Edwin yeah. Encarnacion, okay, Mike Trout, Brandon Belt, 
Austin Hedges, Kevin Biggio. Huh. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with all of those swings, mm-hmm. obviously. But, yeah, no, that doesn't, you know, I mean, the, there are pretty good hitters in that, right? Mm-hmm. But Brandon Belt is not a home run hitter. No. He's supposed to be, but he hits like 12 to 15 home runs a year. And he's six foot five and 230 pounds. But what does he do? He hits a ton of fly balls to, like, left center. Okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are outs. Yeah. Okay, but that gets his launch angle up. But he also couples that with ground balls to the pull side, right? So that evens it out. So I would say, you know, this number, average launch angle, I, I don't know if I would I would put a lot of weight in that. Mm-hmm. If you look at Bregman's swing and you look at somebody like Belt swing, those are like two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Bregman's like so flat and so level, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, his, I mean, his attack angle, you're probably looking at like averaging 10. Mm-hmm. Attack angle, and then if you look at somebody like Belt in that same position, hitting a ball at your front toes, he's probably like eighteen to twenty. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I buy into that because, I mean, I, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like yeah. you have a real flat swing. What does Bregman's miss? You know, a little cut pop up straight up in the air, just missed it. Yeah. He doesn't hit like weak fly balls to the opposite field. He'll just hit straight up pop-ups. Yeah. So what is that angle though? That angle might be like 65 degrees up. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you take a 65 degree up and then the next one he hits at whatever negative 10. What is that average? That average is 50 degrees with his launch angle. So I'm not sure if I would look too much into the total average. I mean, if we could look into maybe hits, mm-hmm. What is their average launch angle on base hits? Right. Singles, doubles, home runs. That would make a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Because yeah, you could average a chopper and a pop-up, and that could average like 20 degrees. Yeah. And that'd be and like, this, oh, that's sweet. And this is where it gets very deceiving. And this is where we put, I think, too much weight into launch angle. I remember a couple of years ago talking to uh, an executive uh, in our organization. I told him, I said right to his face, I said, look, so-and-so, um, launch angle, it can be very deceptive. It's not the end-all, be-all. And he kind of looked at me uh, with a little bit of a blank stare, as if, uh, how can you say something like that? I don't think you understand. No, I, I do understand. The problem is I do understand. It, it can be very deceptive, and when you understand the mechanics of the swing and other metrics that may come into play, why are we just talking about launch angle here? It's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah. I mean, if you're training and you're trying to get a hit extra base hits, then, yeah, you know, I'm I'm... I'm training batting practice or whatever, and I'm trying to get you 15 to 25 degrees. Mm-hmm. For that, launch angle is great. Knowing what your launch angle is great. Yeah. Giving a guy a contract based on what his launch angle is. Is a mistake. Average launch angle, again, that launch angle, you know, maybe his average launch angle is really good, but he hit 225 yeah. with 15 home runs. Like, okay, like that doesn't play in. I don't know. And maybe I need to look deeper into that reading. Maybe it is only on balls in play, or maybe it's only balls that are hit a certain velocity. I, I don't think so. Or maybe balls that are recorded as hits. But yeah. if it's just launch angle on all balls hit in play, ah, that doesn't really mean much to me. I don't think I missed anything for launch yeah. angle. Did I? I don't you're, know. A br- you're, a br- you're a bright guy. I think you're I, an East Coast graduate. I think I, I, I got every... We hit every point on launch angle this week. Pretty sure, <laughs> at least the important, the important bullet points. I think so. Okay, 
Just making sure I don't I don't want to miss it. And it could it could blow your mind. You know, I mean, if you look so much into into data, it could really get it could really get crazy. But okay. know that everything launch angle is cause and effect, right? What is the bat causing the ball to do? Mm-hmm. So you can't just look at you know launch angle without attack angle. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see what those that I mean the whole Bregman. Um, and I haven't seen uh, Biggio swing, but you know the whole Bregman versus like Brandon Belt, who I'm very familiar with his swing. He's been in the league a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two guys are like so polar opposites with their swing mechanics and swing plane. For them to have similar average launch angles is kind of mind blowing to me. The conclusion of the show, this week's episode number 13, is coming right up. But first, I want to break in here and talk to you a little bit about the new item that is currently available in the official team store of the Toronto Blue Jays and the Dunedin Blue Jays, the J Shop. It's the Toronto Blue Jays and, of course, Dunedin Blue Jays face mask. I have one of these, and it's a new item that's available online for delivery options, pickup options as well, of course, here in Florida. And in the state of Florida, the Tampa area, quick little story, I had to go and get gas and coffee from one of my favorite convenience stores the other day. And before I walked in, I saw a sign on the window that said, you must wear face covering. Well, so I, luckily for me, I went back to my car, grabbed my Toronto Blue Jays face mask, put it on, got my coffee, my gas, and kind of kept it on. And I didn't even realize it as I was driving because it was so comfortable. Whether you want to wear a face mask or not, some places, as the convenience store that I was in the other day, are making you do it. And what better way to fit in and follow the rules than wearing your favorite team's face mask, that team logo with the face mask. I think it's great. I really do. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays and Dunedin Blue Jays face mask. It's now available in the J Shop. It's easy. Log on to DunedinBlueJays.com and click on the Team Store. So let's break into our final segment here. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social media at Epstein Hitting on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Tara. You can submit your questions there. Or submit your questions to JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. Again, that is JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. Before we wrap up, we do have a question. This was sent to me from John via Instagram. And he says, Jim, I really enjoy listening to the podcast every week. You and Jake have great chemistry. The question I want to ask for Jake, what's an easier way to go about teaching swing adjustability to kids who are under 14 years of age, preferably from 10 to 13? Swing adjustability. So that's, you know, putting players, number one, it starts with good mechanics, right? So I'm a big believer in, mechanics you know starting at age nine or ten you know there was a six-year-old kid that walked in the door the other day and I was like okay what are we gonna do here so I told mom and grandma Mm -hmm. get him a bucket of balls put him in the backyard tell him to throw the ball up and hit it as far as he can like get him to know how to swing a bat and and like stride Mm -hmm. and so you know getting a foundation is first once a player has a foundation um, you have to be careful for adjustability, meaning that allows players to adjust. If they can stride and keep their hands back, they got a chance. Mm-hmm. So if they get to a bad launch position, they stride and their hands come with them when they drop their front heel, they're not going to have adjustability. It's, it's that simple. So 
a very basic way to teach somebody how to adjust a pitch and cover pitches is to teach a 10-year-old kid how to play pepper. So you ask 10 to 13, play pepper every single day. Play pepper every single practice. Make sure they get their reps in. Make sure they can take an inside pitch and hit it to the guy on the opposite side of the line. Make sure they can take a high pitch and get on top of it. Make sure they can get to a low pitch and make sure they don't chop it straight into the ground. It doesn't go anywhere. Teach that adjustability there. And then almost start playing pepper at a faster pace, right? So now let's scoot everybody back or play pepper off a machine, right? And the machine is throwing it a little bit harder and a little bit more outside or a little bit more inside. Teach them how to have bat control. Once you teach a player how to have bat control and they have good mechanics, they will be able to adjust on the fly. And then the adjustability factor, you can get as crazy as you want with it, um, you know, during BP is you just, you know, I'll do it with front toss. Yeah. You know, I'll do it with front toss. I'll throw them hard, and then I'll take off you one or two miles an hour, and they're going to be out in front, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, okay, you're going to be out in front. It's okay if you're out in front. It's okay if you lunge a little bit. But if you always lunge, mm-hmm. if you lunge on every swing and then you're early, you're toast. Right. If you stay back on every swing and then all of a sudden you have to lunge, at least you have that on the back burner. So essentially to teach adjustability, teach them back control, um, you know, or teach, teach them back control, teach them good mechanics, and then try to mess them up. And don't get mad when they're off balance. Yeah. Like pl- big league players look bad all the time. Somebody hit a home run the other day. I saw screaming. They were on their front foot. It was a one-handed swing. They found a barrel. It went out of the park. You going to yell at that kid because they were off balance and hit a ball, you know, 350 feet? Yeah. No. So know if you're working on adjustability and you're trying to get a player out, it is okay if they don't look perfect all the time. So really, on pit on pitches, you're you know, if you're changing speeds on them. So really, the the starting ground there, the base is playing pepper. Playing pepper at a young age, teach your kids to play pepper. Yeah. Gosh, nobody knows how to do that anymore. Nobody knows if I say, hey, hit a ball to right field, can you get the knob out in front of your barrel longer? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? When I have a player that can do that, I can make a swing change really quick. Mm-hmm. So if I have a player that's dumping their barrel, I'll be like, okay, let's play pepper. They usually have no idea how to play pepper. Yeah. They have no barrel awareness. They have no, no idea where that barrel is. And what they do with their hands controls the barrel. So right. teaching them that at a young age, barrel control, I mean, that's Latin America right there. Yeah. Like, that's just where that's where they start that's the process so getting them to do that typically will lead to decent mechanics actually a decent hand path then all of a sudden you check mechanics and then you just you know and and not all the time you're not trying to get them out all the time for adjustability but you might be like okay we have two strikes in this count and you might throw them a couple good ones right you got two strikes and then you throw them a fastball down the middle or whatever great and then you know a pitch later then you throw like a little slider away and see if they can fight it off. See yeah. if they can keep their hands back and fight it off. But like I said, if your mechanics aren't good, if you launch your hands too soon, I mean, I see this every day uh, in the online academy when I log in and start doing videos. If I would say nine out of ten players, when they launch their swing, when their front foot lands, you know, after their stride, mm-hmm. their hands are not in the right position. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest things every day that I'm like, you know, creating plans for because that will not create adjustability if you don't have that piece 
locked in. Well, hey, good stuff, and be sure to send us your questions again via social media uh, or jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. That is jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. We mentioned baseball savant in small doses in this episode. We've done it in previous episodes as well. And we'll continue with our data series next week, Volume 3. We dissect baseballsavant.com. It's a website I often visit, and, Jake, you've brought it up actually uh, plenty of times. Uh, you brought it up on one of the first episodes of the show, and right there it clicked in my mind that we have to do a couple of episodes on baseballsavant.com. It's very useful, and we'll be talking about it uh, next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. That's uh, I mean, that's just raw data, great information that you can filter through. Like, you know. Yeah. There's, you can get lost in it, so we got to be careful. Yeah. I don't want to get lost next week. Yeah, and, and you know what? If people want to follow along with next week's episode when it does come out, be sure to log on to BaseballSavant.com. Um, but we'll be talking about that website, uh, great stats that give just more insight to both pitchers uh, and hitters um, alike. So we'll be talking about that next week, BaseballSavant.com. Stay safe. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Take care. Wow. <laughs>